This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Now, if you'll remember last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Lost and Found. Last week, we talked about Zacchaeus, and we talked about Jesus engaging him, a person who was a vile and wretched tax collector, who Jesus said, hey, I'm coming to your house. I care about you. I'm interested in you. I want to invest in you. And everybody else was scratching their heads because it didn't make sense, because Zacchaeus was a guy that you didn't think Jesus would have gone over his house, but yet Jesus showed the guy love and value because he was a lost person that needed to be found, but he didn't know that he was lost. And I think that at some level, we all know that we as Christians need to be reaching people who don't know Christ, and we need to be reaching people who don't know the Lord or who are not believers. But the thing oftentimes I feel like is that we know the right things to do, but how often do we actually do those things? And so the title of my message this morning, if you're a note taker, is From Knowing to Doing. You can also follow along on Version if you have the Bible app and you want to go search for a live event in your area from knowing to doing. I think that we get caught up oftentimes in the safety and in the comfort of church and in church life and in church culture with how we think because oftentimes we feel that if we know something, that's good enough. I know that. I know this, Pastor. I've already heard this before. I know that scripture. As a matter of fact, I have a big giant uh, piece of wooden plank that has it painted on there, that scripture, that John 3.16 that I bought from Hobby Lobby. It was on sale the other day, and it's hanging in my living room, and I know that scripture. And we feel that just because we know it, that that's good enough. And we've accumulated all of this knowledge about the things of God. We've accumulated all of this knowledge about what we should do. For instance, I don't need to tell you you need to read your Bible. I don't need to tell you you need to pray. And I don't need to tell you that you need to evangelize and tell lost people about Jesus. Because at our core, guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you know those things. But we need to transition... From knowing to doing. I know I should, but because we're so saturated with the message of knowing, it often doesn't translate into doing, and because of that, we become callous to the urgency and the need for impacting eternity. We miss eternity. You see, Jesus always kept eternity at the forefront of all of the messages that he ever shared, you would hear Jesus say things like this, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like. He was always talking about the kingdom, the kingdom. Well, when he was saying kingdom, really what he meant was eternity. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that you have have an impact one way or another on eternity because one way or another, everything you do affects eternity. One way or another, everything you do impacts eternity, either for moving people towards Christ, moving lost people towards Christ, or delaying people ever hearing about Christ. So one way or another, our actions affect eternity, either by our engagement or by our disengagement. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look here at Matthew 9 and verse 35. Matthew 9 and verse 35. 
Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. There's Jesus preaching about the kingdom, preaching about eternity. And he was healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary, they were scattered. They were like sheep that didn't have a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want you to notice something about this particular passage of Scripture, that Jesus engaged in different ways that you and I often engage, but doesn't move us to actually doing something. Jesus saw, all right? He was with the people and he saw something. And so therefore, he was aware of what was happening. He was aware that there were so many people that were exhausted, that were weary. They were lost and scattered. And he saw all of these lost people. So Jesus was very much aware of the problem. But after he saw, he was moved with compassion. He said, there are oftentimes in Scripture where you'll see Jesus weeping and responding with emotion. There was a time where Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed so intensely with such great passion and emotion that he actually began to sweat drops of blood. There, were, there was a time in Scripture where we see that Jesus wept because of what was going on. We see Jesus at times getting angry and him being very hurt about things that were going on. We see when Jesus lost his friend, uh, John the Baptist, that he wept. We see Jesus being moved to emotion, being stirred. So he saw, he was aware, he gained the knowledge of what was happening. And then he was moved to emotion and he was stirred. And then he moved us to action. He says, okay, now what are we going to do about the stirring? What are we going to do about the knowledge? What are we going to do about the stirring? He said, well, how about we do this? The harvest is great. You're aware of that. But guess what? We don't have enough laborers. So therefore, why don't we spend our time praying that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into this harvest? And maybe you and I are an answer to that prayer when we accept that role and that responsibility to be a laborer in this harvest. You see, I think what Jesus was saying to us is that when you're stirred, when you are moved to do something, then you need to move. If you are stirred to do something when you're moved, you need to move. We become stirred in our heart to move towards something. But if we wait on it, what we do often is that we lose, we ignore, or we excuse the stirring. I've grown up in church my whole life. I've been in ministry for 16 years full-time in a pastoral role. And the first seven years of that ministry were youth pastoring. And when I was a youth pastor, one of my favorite things to always do was go to youth camp. I absolutely loved youth camp. Matter of fact, I'll go now, okay? I absolutely loved youth camp. I loved taking those kids. And there was one time that we took two busloads of kids to a camp in Dallas, Texas. And when we went to this camp, those kids got so on fire and so stirred because guess what? For a solid week, they were immersed in a prayer culture. They were immersed in a worship culture. They were immersed in a teaching culture. They were immersed in a very highly uh, Christian 
type culture where everything was about worshiping God, everything was about uh, getting to spend that time with him and learn more about him, and our youth group would wait for the doors to open every night before the chapel because those kids could not wait to get in there to have an experience and an encounter with God. And let me tell you, when we came back from youth camp, man, those were the best two weeks following youth camp ever. Because those kids were lit up for Jesus. Those kids were excited. They were passionate. If I said, we're going to have prayer on Monday morning before school, those kids would rush in there and fill up that auditorium to pray. I remember that they couldn't wait for Sunday to come around because those kids would sit on the front row and when worship would happen, those kids would worship without care or any uh, inhibition of what anyone would think. Of them, And so they would be so free to worship God and just express their love towards God. It was one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen. But guess what? It only lasted about two weeks. They couldn't wait to go back and tell all their friends about Jesus. They couldn't wait to go back and evangelize. Why? They were, in, they were moved by the experience they had. They were moved by the words of the speaker. Or they were moved by the words that the Holy Spirit spoke to them when they were alone with the Lord. They were moved emotionally, just like Jesus was moved emotionally to do something. But if they didn't do something with it, then they would lose that passion and that fire for the Lord. And I saw it every year. And then the next year they would go back to camp and they would be looking forward to and anticipating the next time they would get charged up and jazzed up about Jesus, right? And then they come back and instead of two weeks, now it only lasted about a week, and then the next year, they would go back, and they would do the same thing, and, except now it wasn't really even that great of a camp experience, and they would be like, Pastor Derek, I think we need to find another camp. This one's just not doing it for me anymore. You see, what begins to happen is that when we're moved, when we're stirred, and we don't do anything with the stirring, we begin to get calloused over to the moving. We begin to get calloused over to the urgency because you've heard messages like this one before where someone has told you, we need to go win the loss. We need to go reach this city. We need to go tell people about Jesus. And everybody goes, yeah, let's do it. But if there's nothing done afterwards, then the next time you hear that message, you don't get quite as stirred as you did the first time you heard it. Because there's no action behind it. You see, when you're moved, you have to move lest you risk becoming calloused over and hardened over to the same message being preached over and over. And then before you know it, it's just a pretty decoration in your living room of a scripture that you once heard. Because we all know that the harvest is great and the laborers are few. We know that. But does it stir you? Does it move you? Does it cause you to want to do something about it? Or are you just going, oh, I know that. I'm going to work on my doodle a little bit more. I'm going to just disengage this Sunday because I know this. I'm not asking you if you know it. The problem with church and the problem with Christians is that they know too much and do too little with what they know. And I think that it's time for us to wake up and realize that if God stirs us to reach out, if God stirs us to give, if God stirs us towards something, if God stirs us to invest, that we need to stop waiting on it and we need to start moving because you'll get stirred to have that conversation with your husband or your wife. You'll get stirred to repent. You'll get stirred to try to make reconciliation with that individual. You'll get stirred to want to right a wrong. You'll get stirred to want to try to go serve or do something for someone else because God spoke to you either through a message that you heard, something you read, some event you went to, or a Sunday morning. 
But then you get out in the car and you go, yeah, I'm not going to talk to my wife about that. I was just in the moment. I, I, I was just in the moment. I mean, it'll work itself out. I don't need to confront that individual or I don't need to try to make this situation right. I was just in the moment. I mean, the music was playing, the pastor was yelling and spitting and screaming. It was, you know, I mean, it was, it, I was just in the moment. I mean, it's, I, and now I'm not in there. You know, it'd be kind of awkward. I, I was going to tell my coworker about Jesus, but you know what? I mean, they know I'm a Christian. I mean, that's, it's, it's cool. I mean, I was just kind of in the moment. And we excuse it. We excuse the stirring. And because we excuse the stirring, we began to get more callous to the stirring. And then the next time that we hear the same message, it doesn't impact us quite like it did that first time. Just like your cell phone. You charge that cell phone up, you leave it out on your counter, you have two options. Use it or don't use it. But you know you're going to use it because you charged it up. You charged it up, you could use it or don't use it. But guess what? Whether you use it or you neglect it, it's going to still run that battery down one way or another, right? Because you can't just charge it and it's just going to stay charged sitting there. I don't care what kind of Mophie case you got, what kind of extra charging thing you got. I don't care how fancy of chargers you've got. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've got the best battery on the planet. It will wear down. It will run out. And it will need to be charged again. But did you use it? Did you use it while it was charged while the battery was stirred, ready to make something happen that you could do something with? There's nothing wrong with being charged back up. Man, we all need to be charged back up. We need to be filled with that Spirit of God through prayer or through investing our time with the Lord and being refilled and recharged and re-energized. Sunday morning should be a great time for you to be recharged and re-energized. But what are you doing with it once you leave? If you're just leaving it sitting on the counter, then it's of no use to anyone. And guess what? Whether you recognize it or not, you're affecting eternity. We always think I'm affecting eternity when I'm doing something positive for God. That's true. But guess what? You're also affecting eternity when you neglect the stirring. Because someone who God had in mind for you to reach is not being reached because you decided that you were just in the moment. Or you're too busy. Or it's too inconvenient. And because we make those decisions after the fact, we want to dismiss the stirring, we're still affecting eternity. We're still affecting eternity. It's just not for the glory of God. It's for the preservation of myself. I'm affecting eternity so I can have a moment of peace, so I can have that little extra time to do something that I feel is important to me instead of moving when I'm moved. God wants us to move when we are moved. He stirs you up to do something in you and through you. This relationship with God, this Christianity, is not just something where we come and tank up all for ourselves so we can have a good, happy, pleasant life. And if you just come to church merely to be filled but you don't do anything with it, you're doing the kingdom of God a great disservice. And you're making it all about you. Now, do you benefit from it? Absolutely, you should. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you're stirred to move, you need to move. Amen? When you're stirred to do, you need to do. When you're stirred to connect, you need to connect. When you're stirred to repent, you need to repent. When you're stirred to make that phone call or to go make a visit, you need to do it. You need to stop making excuses because we can't run the risk of impacting eternity negatively 
We want to impact it for the glory of God. And I think oftentimes the reason why people don't want to reach out and they don't want to evangelize, they don't want to invest, they don't want to grow to the next level in those things is because they're scared. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I'm not a preacher. Yeah, that's right. I am. You're not. That's okay. That doesn't make me better than you. And it doesn't make evangelizing the gospel just my job. And then you get a pass. Because we read last week, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, where the Apostle Paul said that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That means you've been reconciled unto God. He has forgiven you. He's made all things new. And now he's saying, now you need to go share that message with others because you're an ambassador for Christ. He said, it's as if God himself were pleading through you for people to repent and be reconciled to God. The same thing that happened to you. Now you're that mouthpiece. Now you're that ambassador. Now you're that representative. And we get this stirring and this sense to do something with it. But we don't know what to do. Because what are we supposed to do? All quit our jobs and all become preachers? Is that what we're supposed to do? No, absolutely not. Because what God does that we often miss is that God often moves us towards action with natural connections. We think it's got to be something huge and big and and spiritual. It's got to be this big event. But we miss the day-to-day that God often moves us towards action. When He stirs us, He's often moving us towards action with a natural connection that He's already given. Think about Moses for a minute. Now, Moses was a great leader that led the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. All right? Moses did this wonderful thing for God. It was an extremely powerful thing that God did through Moses. But God used Moses' natural connections to put him in a position to be able to do something for God that everyday stuff you wouldn't have thought about would have been a great opportunity to do something with and through. Exodus 4 and 5 tells the story of Moses' birth and kind of rise to leadership. And let me give you just the Cliff Notes version. Moses was born during a time where the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. They had been in slavery for 400 years. So Moses is literally born into slavery. This is the only life that Moses would have known being born into slavery. That's all Moses' parents knew was slavery. So these people, they're born into slavery to the Egyptians to help the Egyptians build their monuments and their, their, um, all of their pyramids and all those things that were being built during that era. That's how those things were built, by the hands of God's people, the Israelites. But at the same time, Pharaoh wanted to see these people wiped out. He became very angry with them, and so he ordered that all of the males to and under would be killed. And guess what? Moses had just been born, and Moses' mother is deathly afraid that he is going to be killed. So she weaves together a basket, and she puts the baby in the basket, covers him up, and then floats him down the river just to try to save her baby's life. It so happened that as this baby was floating in this basket down the river, you can read this in Exodus 4 and 5, that Pharaoh's daughter was bathing in the water, and she saw this baby, and she grabbed this baby out of this basket and knew what was going on, knew this was obviously a mom trying to save her baby's life because she knew that her father had made this decree. But she took the baby and raised it as her own son. So now this child who was destined for death had become a grandchild of the Pharaoh. And because of that, this child Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh, was taught by the best educators of their day. 
He spent time in the palace of Pharaoh, had access to Pharaoh, knew the palace well because he grew up playing in the halls of the palace. And then one day when Moses was an adult, he knew that he was an Israelite and he knew he had been adopted into the family of Pharaoh. And he saw one of his fellow Israelites being mistreated by a guard and being beaten mercilessly beaten by this guard, this Egyptian guard. And Moses yelled out to him to stop, and and the guard wouldn't stop. And Moses became roused with anger, and he ran over, and he intervened in the situation and ended, ended up killing the abuser of his fellow Israelite. Well, now all of a sudden, all of his royal privilege had been gone now because now he's a wanted man. Moses had to flee his life of comfort that he once had, and he ran out, and he lived in the wilderness. He found himself a wife, and he became a shepherd, and he settled down for a very long time and just tried to lay low so no one would find him because there was a bounty on his head now at this time because he had killed an Egyptian. He had been given all this privilege. And then all of a sudden, God comes to him in the form of a burning bush, and begins to talk to him and said, that oppression that my people have been going through, we're done with that. You're going to lead my people out of Egyptian slavery. What? 400 years of slavery? Me? Moses said, I don't speak well. I'm not a good speaker. But then what does God do? God says, Don't you worry about what to speak. He said, not only am I going to give you the words to speak, but you know your brother, Aaron, who is still a slave in bondage, he's going to be your right-hand man. Aaron's going to speak for you because Aaron's a Levite, and he's going to be able to speak well on your behalf. So you're going to speak to Moses what I tell you, and he's going to speak for you. Well, how, God, how, how then are they going to know that it's really you? You see that sweet stick that you've been carrying around that you whittled to be able to care for those sheep. You see that stick you've been carrying around all these years? He said, throw it on the ground. Moses throws a staff on the ground. It turns into a snake. Then God says, now pick it up. I don't know which one took more faith. (laughs) But he reached down and he picked up the staff, or he picked up the snake, and the snake turned into the staff once again. He said, you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to throw that stick down, and he's going to know that it's me. He said, because this is going to happen in the presence of Pharaoh. So now here comes Moses into the presence of the Pharaoh, which more than likely because his grandfather Pharaoh had already passed away. This was more than likely probably uh, Moses' brother by adoption, one that he had grown up with because the most historians and scholars put the Pharaoh that was in power around that time, probably Ramses II, which would be the one who Moses probably would have grown up with in the palace. So God uses these natural connections that Moses already had. Moses makes all these excuses, and God keeps throwing the things that he already has at his disposal. He says, well, what about your brother? Your brother's a good speaker. Why don't we bring him along? Oh, I never thought about that one. Let's use a natural connection. No one else would have been able to walk into the palace and demand that Pharaoh let God's people go but Moses. No one else would have been able to do that because remember, Moses knew his way around the palace. Remember, when he walked in, could you imagine all the gasps that went throughout the palace? Oh my gosh, it's Moses. Oh my gosh, this is the guy. Oh, this guy used to live here. And now he's walking back. God used the things that Moses was naturally connected to and the relationships he had naturally formed beforehand to put him in a position to speak the words of God. 
And then he used something he naturally had in his hand. If Moses would throw it down on the ground and cast it on the ground, God could do something with what Moses had that Moses never could have done with it. Because no matter how skillful Moses was, he never could have turned a stick into a snake, right? But God could to show Pharaoh that it really is me. And you need to take this man seriously because he's acting on my behalf. So God uses the things that are the natural connections and the natural things in our lives that if we will give them to him, he will do something supernatural with them that we never could have done. He'll do something with them that we never could have done. He'll set people free that otherwise would still be in bondage. Not because you're so special, but because you recognize everything you have is not yours, and you say, God, what are the natural connections in my life? What are the natural things that you have given me? What are the skills and the abilities and the talents that you've naturally given me that if I release them to you, you could do something with them and through them that I could never do? You see, God's put you in position that you just think it's a normal everyday thing. You think it's a normal everyday thing to go to the gym and run into the same people every day. You just think you just got to know them and you know their kids' names. You may even know their birthday and you may have a casual interaction with them and friendship with them and you just think it's just happenstance. But what you don't know is that God could move mightily through something that you thought was common. Amen, somebody? There's so many common things. You, you just think you've been taking your lunch break with that same person in the lunchroom for the past 10 years, and it just is happenstance that you and that person always get on break together. What if God is setting you up? You just think that you have these natural skills and abilities to do things. Maybe you're a carpenter, or maybe you're an organizer, or maybe you're an entrepreneur, and you think you have these abilities just because you enjoy doing those things. What if God gifted you with those abilities because He wanted to use something simple and natural to do something great for His kingdom through those things? You see, when we're kingdom-minded, it changes the way we view the everyday. I'm going to say that again. When we're kingdom-minded, it changes the way that we view the everyday. Our commute to work, our conversations we have, our interactions that we have. God wants to prove Himself mighty because He sees that the harvest is great. Somebody's just got to recognize this is not just an everyday life that I'm supposed to go through to try to buy a bigger house, to try to buy a nicer car, to buy nicer clothes, and to become more important in my own eyes and the eyes of the people that I have influence with. Instead, it is something that God has given me to be able to be used as a tool to be able to do something great for His kingdom. You see, I think that God uses those natural connections, the things that we may pass off as just simple, to do something great through. And I want to equip you with some things that I believe will help you to gain confidence in the area of sharing your faith, in the area of evangelism. Because earlier this year, when we talked about our vision for 2016, We said we want to grow to the next level in the area of evangelism because we recognize our call, our duty, and our responsibility to share our faith with other people. And I know a lot of people have a long laundry list of excuses of why they don't, but I want to help equip you to be able to do the work of the ministry so you may begin to look at those natural connections that God has given you, those natural abilities, and how can you use those things to make a difference in eternity for someone. 
Here's one of the ways that I found. It's really cool. It's a website called evangelismcoach.org. All right? Write that down. Evangelismcoach.org. It's a great website. Um, This website is one that I uh, was as I was doing my research on some great resources for people. This one is amazing. Everything's on there is totally free. And what this guy that authors this blog, he basically put together some gospel scripts. So if you don't know how to articulate the gospel, perhaps that's an area that you need to grow in. I need to be able to uh, share the gospel with people. This will help give you some simple ways to learn how to share the gospel. The second way is my absolute most favorite here, this personal testimony builder. Because oftentimes you don't realize how powerful your personal testimony is. And you may think, oh, I don't really have that great of a testimony because it's not one of these really out there tearjerker testimonies. Everybody has a testimony and everybody's testimony is powerful. Amen? People just don't realize it and they don't realize how powerful their story is. So what this does, this personal testimony builder, it asks you a series of questions about yourself and about your faith journey. And as you begin to answer those, it helps you to put together a timeline and a story that you go, wow, I really do have a powerful story to share. And it helps give you the confidence to be able to share those things with other people. Another thing that it does is it gives you great scriptures to share. You're just like, I don't know the right scriptures to use. When If I were talking to someone about my faith, this will equip you with those. I would encourage you, take those scriptures to share that they give you on this blog, write them down on a little index card, and commit them to memory. Put them somewhere where you'd see them every day, you know. Put them in, uh, in the mirror, put, uh, you know, put them in your car, put them in a bag or in your lunch or whatever it is, and just look at them and read them and invest time in in, in memorizing those scriptures. And then also have some great discussion starters. Maybe you don't know how to get the conversation going. You've always wanted to talk to that coworker about your faith. You've always wanted to tell them about Christ, but you don't really even know how to get the conversation going. It's really awkward for you. This has some awesome discussion starters. And the stuff on this website is not corny or cheesy, all right? It's good stuff. So I want to throw that your way. Another thing that we need to do is we need to leverage our personal influence for eternity's sake. Remember where I said that Aaron was the mouthpiece of Moses. Maybe you're not at a place where you feel comfortable sharing with someone yet. Maybe you're not at that place where you know enough that you want to do it. Maybe you still need to spend some time investing in making sure that you have those things to share and you're working on that and you want to grow to the next level in that. But you can still, at any level, leverage your personal influence for eternity's sake. What does that mean? That means that the people you know and the people you have relationship with, you can invite them to church because guess what? I'll be your errand. Guess what? I am called to speak. I am called to share the gospel. And if you bring someone here, I will always share the gospel with them. They will always hear the word of God spoken true and clear and in a way that they can understand. I can guarantee you that. That's my job. Now, what your job is as a member of this congregation is to make sure they feel welcomed and loved and that they experience the love of God through the way you treat them and the way you interact with them while they're here. It's my job to speak the truth to them. And that's what we can do. And we can partner together by you leveraging the influence that God has given you. Because guess what? You know people I don't know. You can invite people that I couldn't invite and they really wouldn't give me the time of day. But you know those people. You have influence that God has naturally given you that he's saying, why don't you leverage that influence for the sake of the kingdom? Amen? 
for the sake of impacting someone's eternity. And then let church be your errand as you're growing in your own confidence of sharing your faith. This is a great first step for anyone, just to simply invite someone to come to church with them and they can hear the gospel. And you still, that doesn't, that doesn't negate your personal growth uh, in being able to share your faith. We all need to grow in that area as well. So that's why I'm giving you those tools. So you can grow in that area, but you can always invite people to church to be that mouthpiece, to speak, to, to share the truth and the, and the love of God with them. So make sure that you do that too. Uh, the third thing is we need to intentionally develop new relationships. And I mean intentionally. I think there's something to be said about intentionality. I'm not talking about just the happenstance relationships. Thank God for those. Wake up to those. Acknowledge those. But I think that more importantly, we need to have people on our radar that God is putting on our hearts that we're intentionally building relationship with to show them the love and truth of Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody? And I mean show people value through spending time with them, learning their names. You know that the sweetest music often that anyone will ever hear is the sound of their own name. And if you remember people's names, man, that means so much to people at such a deep level. Also, pray for them. Offer them a listening ear or maybe physical help with a project. Maybe they need help moving or they need help painting or you hear something that they share with you in passing that they have need of and you know you have the ability to be able to help with that. Step up and offer that and say, hey, could I help you? Man, that goes a long way with people when you're willing to just intentionally develop new relationships. I know that God has specifically two people on my radar right now two people that I'm specifically investing in. And let me tell you how simple this is to do. And this isn't me tooting my own horn by any means. I'm just showing you how simple it is to show people value. I'm a buck season ticket holder. Everybody knows that. Moving on. <clears throat> I really... I, 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 and at the beginning of the year, um, there's a uh, some people who sit next to us who are also season ticket holders in our section. And we got to know them because we thought if we're going to be sitting by these people all season, we better be friends. And we developed a great friendship to where, you know, I could leave my coat there or some of my belongings there and they do the same if they need to go get something to eat or go to the restroom, what have you. It's a really cool. Matter of fact, we have such a great relationship that these people who own these seats said, hey, you're not moving next year, are you? You're keeping these seats because wherever you're going, we're following you. That was what they said verbatim. We, we want to stick together. I said, great. Great. And I just met these people through basketball. God put these people on my radar. And I remember at the beginning of the season, the Bucks released a list of all the giveaway nights. Like they're going to be giving away posters and cups and t-shirts, different nights. And the most exciting thing that this one person got excited about was this goofy oven mitt. I mean, she just went on and on about this <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks oven mitt. And she just said, oh, I can't wait for oven mitt night, you know. And uh, it kind of became this ongoing joke about how pumped she was about oven mitt night. Well, I noticed oven mitt night came last week. And when my wife and I went to the game, uh, we ended up uh, getting the oven mitts. We're all jazz, yay, oven mitts. And, uh, <clears throat> and, 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 when, and, uh, and we've got our oven mitts, and we noticed the seats next to us are empty. Well, where's she at? She was so jazzed about oven mitt night. And so we became friends on Facebook a few months ago, and I shot her a message, and I said, hey, where were you at? It was oven mitt night. She had been sick for three weeks, and I didn't know about it. And so she had no idea, uh, but uh, I, I contacted her mom, got her address, and my wife and I sent her one of our oven mitts, right? And she got it in the mail, and that meant so much to this lady. It just meant a ton. And she started putting all over Facebook about how she's just so blessed to have a relationship with us, and she thanks God for us, and all these things, and it just brought her to tears. An oven mitt showed someone, <laughs> hey, we always think it's these big events that reach people for Christ, 
We always think it's these big, huge evangelistic outreaches. We all think that it's got to be something where, you know, cue up the music, you know, and, 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 and then a light shone from heaven. And we think it's got to be this big dramatized thing. But it's as simple as an oven mitt, people. It's as simple as listening, paying attention, and caring about someone. Amen? Amen. Intentionally develop relationship with people, and it's going to open the door for you to be able to share the gospel. Amen? Amen. Um, and I want you to major on the minors. I want you to remember the little things. And, and that oven mitt was one of those little things. So major on the minors. Invest in the little things in those relationships. Remember that birthday of that coworker, or that, or, or, or the thing that, that they mentioned that may not have been that big of a deal that you're paying attention to intentionally for the sake of eternity. C- could you, hold on just a second. This thought just popped in my head. And I'm not saying this happened. But what if, just what if, what if something as simple as an oven mitt could lead someone to accepting Christ? I'm serious. I know it sounds funny, but I'm serious. What if something that simple could break some hard area in someone's heart to where now they became open to hearing something that they weren't open to hearing before? You see how powerful this stuff is? And you see how simple it is? Stop making excuses. Stop making evangelism hard. Start doing the little things that matter. Amen? This is probably the biggest one of all here is this last one. Personal integrity shines a light for the world to see Jesus. I think this is the biggest one. Because you and I do not have to compromise our relationship with Jesus in order to reach people for the kingdom. Amen? We don't have to be involved in sin in order to reach people who are sinning. We can walk above those things that would want to drag us down in the world, but yet still walk with the love and truth of Jesus and treating others with the love and truth of Jesus regardless of what things may have a hold of their lives. Amen? That means we can love the people who may be deemed by our world or by church culture as unlovable, and we can accept them and love them without making them feel like we are trying to tout ourselves as being better than them because we may not look a certain way or we may not act a certain way or we may not do certain things. You can still be friends with people and you can still love them and you can still be intentional with them and build relationship with them and not participate in some of the things that God has delivered you out of. Hello, somebody. You can reach anyone for the kingdom of God. Think about Jesus entering into Zacchaeus' house. That dude was despised, man. That guy was not popular at all. Everybody in town hated that guy. He was a figure that when Jesus said, I'm coming to your house, everybody said, what? Jesus is going to whose house? Zacchaeus' house? You mean... You mean Lil Z from down the street. No. He's going to Lil Z's house. And he's going to eat in Lil Z's house? You've got to be kidding me. But did Jesus compromise who he was when he went over to the tax collector's house? No. No. And did the tax collector feel loved? Yeah. Did it change his life? Yeah. He repented. And it changed his entire life. Not because Jesus went in there and said, let me tell you how rotten everybody thinks you are. No, he walked in there and gave him love and gave him truth. Hmm. I think we need to invest in prayer and scripture reading to always be ready. I think we need to show those around us that there is a better way. And that's part of us living with integrity is that we're showing people, hey, there's a better way. 
you know what? Not all husbands and wives have to go through those things because my wife and I, we used to struggle in this area, but we've learned how to walk together hand in hand and let our relationship glorify God. That doesn't mean I'm better than you. It just means Jesus has led me out of some things and he can lead you out of those things too to where you guys aren't yelling and fighting each other all the time. You see how that personal integrity shines a light? It shows a better way, but it's not casting judgment either. It's showing you there's a better way. The reason that I'm able to do some of the things I'm able to do is because God has shown me how to properly manage my finances. And I'm not saying that I'm better than you. I'm just saying I've been through some rough financial things and God's brought me out of those things and he's blessed me because I'm doing things God's way and he wants that for you too. When you begin to show that to people, it's not you judging them, it's you showing them a better way. Amen? Your children don't have to be rebellious and, 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 and they don't have to uh, have this issue with you where they're angry with you. That doesn't have to be normal and acceptable. That's not the way it is in our house. Not because I'm better than you, but because Jesus has shown me a better way and he wants that for you too. Amen, somebody? You can work through this. You can work through this marriage issue. You can work through this financial issue. You can work through this issue at, at, your, at your job or at your work. It's not that I'm better than you because I know I'm not. I I have my issues and I've sinned and I've fallen short of the glory of God and I need Jesus just like everybody else, but he's shown me a better way and he wants that for you too. Man, that's why personal integrity is huge, amen? So here's the commitment that I want us to make. And I've heard this all my life, but just because you've heard it all your life and you've heard it a lot doesn't mean that it doesn't have any merit or weight. I want you to listen to me. I want each one of us to reach one and make that commitment this year that each one is going to reach one. As we grow to the next level in 2016 in evangelism, I want us to commit to at least reaching one person for the kingdom of God. So here's what you do. You begin to pray and you begin to say, God, show me that person. Highlight them to me. That person you want me to have on my radar to begin to pray for, to begin to show there's a better way to to begin to invest in, to begin to care for, to begin to leverage that relational influence that you have given me with this person for eternity's sake. Because you can get stirred all day long. And I know some of you are stirred deeply right now. And I know some of you right now are thinking of someone. And I know some of you are thinking of ways that you could reach people or things you could do. And that's wonderful. Don't ever, ever, ever stop being stirred But if you don't act when you're stirred, then you're impacting eternity a different way than God wants you to. Because we're just neglecting and delaying the challenge. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Probably, yeah. Will you blow it sometimes? Oh yeah, count on it. Are you going to probably say the wrong thing every now and then? Yeah, probably. But it's not about you. It's about you taking what you have in your hand and giving it to God and letting him do something with it. Because God is bigger than your mistakes. God is bigger than how eloquently you can wax. God is bigger than your ability to memorize things or share things. You need to begin to trust in the Holy Spirit to begin to bring some of those things back. You just have to be willing to step out. Amen? Amen. So let's make that commitment because Matthew 28 and 16, Jesus said it like this. Matthew 28 and 16, you have that scripture. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Some doubted and Jesus came and spoke and he said this. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Isn't that great that he didn't just say, go? No, he said, go, I'm going to be with you. You don't have to do this on your own because you don't have the ability to save anyone but you do have the ability to open your mouth, to share love, to show truth, and to be that person that's a light and to be that person that's salt in the earth. Amen? Amen. So let's stop talking about it and let's start doing it. When you're stirred to move, it's time to move. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.